kill a naked cub is shame. Besides, he may make better sport for you when he is grown. Barlu had spoken in his behalf. Now to Barlu's word, I will add one bull and a fat one, newly killed, not half a mile from here. If you will accept the man's cub according to the law, is it difficult? There was a clamor of scores of voices saying, What matter? He will die in the winter rains. He will scorch in the sun. What harm can a naked frog do to do us? Let him run with the pack. Where is the bull, Bagheera? Let him be accepted. And then came Akela's deep bay, crying, Look well, look well, O wolves. Mowgli was still deeply interested in the pebbles, and he did not notice when the wolves came and looked at him one by one. At last they went, all went down the hill for the dead bull, and only Akela, Bagheera, Baloo, and Mowgli's own wolves were left. Shere Khan roared still in the night, for he was very angry that Mowgli had not been handed over to him. I roar well, said Bagheera, under his whiskers. For the time comes when this naked thing will make thee roar to another tune, or I know nothing of man. It was well done, said Akela. Men and their cubs are very wise. He may be a help in time. Truly, a help in time of need, for none can hope to lead the pack forever, said Bagheera. Akela said nothing. He was thinking of the time that comes to every leader of every pack, when his strength goes from him and he gets feebler and feebler, till at last he is killed by the wolves, and a new leader comes up to be killed in his turn. Take him away, he said to Father Wolf, and train him as befits one of the free people. And that is how Mowgli was entered into the Seoni wolf pack at the price of a bull, and on Bailu's good word. Welcome to Lies Speaking Truth. I'm Roy Askins. Uh, with me, as always, is Chris Gillespie. How are you doing, Chris? I'm here. Fantastic. Lies Speaking Truth is a podcast about the intersection of truth and a world of lies, a world of fiction. The many and various worlds of fiction created by many and different authors give us a glimpse of truth in our own world. Thank you for joining us as we explore the intersection of these two worlds. You can contact us uh, in several ways. First way to talk, uh, get to in contact with us is talkback at liespeakingtruth.org. If you have any comments on the podcast, please uh, do send us those comments. We, you can also leave comments on the website, uh, liespeakingtruth.org, as well as on our Facebook page. Once again, thank you for being with us. A couple of ground rules, as always. There will be spoilers in the book, uh, both books that we are actually reviewing today. If you haven't read either book, stop now and come back after you've read them. Uh, the reading, the intro for today, was the, uh, a uh, selection from one of the books we're going to be discussing, uh, the first volume uh, of The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. We'll also be talking about uh, the second volume uh, of Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, called The Second Jungle Book, and uh, as well as making some connections with uh, a more modern book by Neil Gaiman called The Graveyard Book. Uh, the way we're going to do this is uh, the the two books, uh, or the, and when I say two books, I'm referring to the Jungle Book and the Second Jungle Book as as one book, uh, and the um, Neil Gaiman's book as the second book. Uh, the way these two books are set up is they're related to one another. The inspiration for much of what Neil Gaiman wrote in the Jungle in the Graveyard Book actually co- comes from Rudyard Kipling's book. Uh, and so uh, these these two uh, podcasts go together, but we're going to record them separately. So the first uh, this podcast, we're going to spend most of our time talking about Rudyard Kipling's writings uh, and uh, and his two 
books. And in the next podcast that comes out, we'll talk about uh, Neil Gaiman's story. Um, the overall format of the books. Uh, both books are something of a series of short stories. Both Kipling and Gaiman weave their stories together well, but they're still a series of short stories, um, almost self-contained stories. You could each read, you could read each chapter as its own little story. In fact, the Jungle Book, uh, Kipling's Jungle Book, has several other book uh, stories in it that are about other characters other than Mowgli. Uh, one of the more famous of these stories is is uh, Riki Tiki Tavi, uh, and the second Jungle Book also has a whole bunch of other stories uh, uh, in addition to the stories about Mowgli. These stories uh, were written in a serial fashion for magazines and then oh. collected into a, into the books, both both uh, the Jungle Book and the second Jungle Book, over a span of about two years. Chris, you actually, uh, before we get into actually talking about the book, uh, this is my first time reading the Jungle Book. I have not, never read it before, um, even though I had read uh, a Gaiman's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you told me this was one of your favorite books, or a, a really beloved book of yours, I think. Uh, you mentioned this growing up. Nope, uh, never, nope, never read it. Really? I thought you had, you had, uh, hmm. had some, he had read it before. No, I just like the Disney movie. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I think uh, the Jungle Book... Uh, is the superior to the graveyard book in that uh, it comes from a <laughs> from a different era, mm-hmm. uh, an era where the even children's literature is uh, was intentionally more moralistic than yeah. it was just about telling a story. Yeah. Uh, and there's value in that, I think, for uh, uh, for our discussion, even. Yeah. As we dive into the discussion, let me give you uh, listeners a quick note. Uh, If you go to our uh, website, you'll find that one of our posts is a worldview diagnostic uh, spreadsheet. This spreadsheet uh, draws on the insights from uh, James W. Sires, The Universe Next Door, and basically breaks down each of these uh, um, uh, various worldviews based on a series of of eight questions. And uh, we're going to start using this as we talk uh, through the stories that we're, we're uh, talking about here. We're going to use these uh, diagnostic questions that are in the spreadsheet to help us look at these books. And I suggest that as you read through the books, you can also use these diagnostics to help ask yourself questions uh, about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, you were talking about moralistic uh, uh, yeah. and how Kipling's uh, book came across uh, in several places as being moralistic. Where, where are a couple places? Uh, how did you see that come across? Uh, so, for example, uh, well, is the discussion um, between uh, Barlu and Mowgli about uh, the law of the jungle? Mm-hmm. Yes, and that and that law is a is a governing law. It's a moralistic law. It's, there's things that you don't do um, ever. There, there's also <laughs> like passphrases, master uh, words, or something? the master word. Yeah, there's master words for each between each species that uh, if you say that word it's kind of like truce or neutral we're, we're neutral here page 47 if you're reading along with us page 47 uh it reads there there that was worth a little bruise said the brown bear tenderly someday thou wilt remember me then he turned aside to tell bagheera how he had begged the master words from hathi the wild elephant who knows all about these things and how hathi had taken mowgli down to a pool to get the snake word from a water snake because baloo could not pronounce it and how Mowgli had now reason or was now reasonably safe against all accidents in the jungle because neither snake, bird, nor beast would hurt him. So basically, if he uses this master word, the animals can't hurt him. 
Right. Right. And that's like a, a governing morality that despite the fact that they're actually at odds with each other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there, there are times where they have to set aside those differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can see this in his, uh, his interaction with the, the bander log. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the banderlog being the exact opposite, you know, the, right. the free people, ironically, you know, this is, this is a precisely Kipling's point. The free people are bound under the law of the jungle and mm-hmm. the banderlog, which are the monkeys, right. Uh, have no law whatsoever. And yet they're bound, right. You know, they're, 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 uh, they're wild and, and, and unbound and, 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 uh, live this crazy life. And, and Mowgli learns about that when he gets caught by them and they, uh, they try to make him their leader, I think. But. Yeah, that's the thought, except uh, they don't seem to have the attention span for a leader. <laughs> Which is, hey, that's an interesting that you bring that up. There's something about attention span and, uh, and recognizing uh-huh. your, you know, uh, understanding the, the role of leadership and authority and having the attention span to actually follow it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, they're not that interested in it. Uh, they, they're really governed. I mean, they're not libertarians, like freedom people they're actually just uh anarchists yeah yeah and and people have done and i didn't really delve into this i just noticed it on maybe it was the wikipedia page or something but people have done stories where they tried or, or analyzed kipling's stories uh, trying to find allegorical connections and 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 that might possibly be one of them yeah i mean it is there it's obviously based on his real experiences growing up in india um although he wrote most of the stories when he was uh, married an American and lived in Battleboro, Vermont. Uh, interesting, you know, to take these animals and, uh, what do you say, anthropomorphize them? You know, give yeah. them l- language and uh, individual characters uh, and and make them orderly. I don't know that he's, he's completely wrong in that. I mean, there is, there is kind of a law of nature. Um, you know, from our perspective, this is true. I mean, the n- nature was uh, originally at least created in an orderly way, with man as as the apex, right? And uh, that still persists in this in this world uh, that he set up here, to some degree. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the definitely in Kipling's world, uh, you know, in the world that we mm-hmm. have, you know, there's obviously not the same structure, the exact same structure that you know, hierarchical authoritarian structure that right. that. Uh, that we have. Right, but but you see that he's Kipling's trying to to wrestle um, with the order uh, that that's good because that's what makes you free uh, against you know those who are, are acting uh, in a more chaotic way. I mean, Shere Khan's one, mm-hmm. you know that that he'll he'll hunt, uh, he'll kill when really it's not according to the order, mm-hmm. uh, and then especially at, at at the end of the second book. With the um, with the red dog and all of the, uh, what do they call those dogs? D h o l e dole. Yeah. Uh, but with the doles, I mean, they're these are wild dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not they're not governed by any law like like the wolves are, and you see that the only way to respond to them. Um, is kind of in like in like manner. Actually, is to be organized, but also then um, you have to respond to them with violence. With violence, because they don't respond to order or logic or uh, the way of the free people. Yeah, 
Yeah, this is uh, backing up just a bit to the passage about cause hunting um, mm. with uh, with Mowgli. Uh, th- that chapter called Cause Hunting is is the chapter where Mowgli gets caught by the uh, by the bander log, which are the monkeys. And it mm-hmm. says, Mowgli, who had been trained under the law of the jungle, did not like or understand this kind of life. The monkeys dragged him into the cold lairs late in the afternoon. And instead of going to sleep, as Mowgli would have done after a long journey, they joined hands and danced about and sang their foolish songs. One of the monkeys made a speech and told his companions that Mowgli's capture marked a new thing in the history of the Banderlog, for Mowgli was going to show them how to weave sticks and canes together as a protection against rain and cold. Mowgli picked up some creepers and began to work them in and out, and the monkeys tried to imitate, but in a very few moments, they lost interest and began to pull their friends' tails or jump up and down on all fours, coughing. There, he's he he has no way of actually working. I mean, because these people these these banderlog are so wild and free and completely you know without any law whatsoever. Mowgli has no way of actually teaching with teaching them or working with them or even understanding their way of life. He he did not understand this kind of life, right? Uh, because uh, it doesn't make sense not to rest, you know. But when you're totally free like this, you've got no restraints. You're totally unbound. Uh, in in some sense, you're or totally free. You're actually. In some sense, really bound to your to your own idiocy, I suppose. Right, like they don't they the the banderlog don't make a distinction between um, hunting for pleasure and hunting uh, for food, for example. Yeah, yeah, and and they 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 had a hard time eating because they 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 weren't prepared for the with the food, and they had no leaders, and they just kind of did this, that, and the other thing, and some starved or killed, and you know it's just totally wild. There's no order, and so there's right. without this order, there's no way of actually. Uh, uh, progressing in society in some way, which would have certainly been one of Rudyard Kipling's interests was progressing as a society. Sure. Well, and you also see that they have a disregard for life. I mean, if one of their their own is killed, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of immaterial to the mm-hmm. to the whole th- the whole thing. Yeah. No. No progress. Um, and, and no. No rule. Mm-hmm. You know. The other. Uh, I, I did find that you know there's a. A naturalistic kind of moral connection with uh, Mowgli's return to the village with uh, Masua, I mm-hmm. think, which is mm-hmm. his birth mother, mm-hmm. and um, that the that the the mystical uh, the priest that rules in the village uh, has just no understanding um, of his surroundings of nature. I mean, his his stories have have no rooting in any kind of reality. They're they're pure mysticism, mm-hmm. and he doesn't understand the animals uh, because he hasn't taken the time to actually uh, observe them and and try, you know, to understand them the way that Mowgli has, you know, obviously advantage growing up with them. And uh, I'm sure that Kipling has that in mind too. Is to, I mean that there's a stewardship aspect there with nature was. Uh, exercising dominion over nature, mm-hmm. uh, and these these people they can't because they uh, they're under this priest's guidance and not knowing um, what like especially with Shere Khan what what's his real deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, you you make a good point there. His contrast between the people of the jungle actually understanding nature. And, and working through the law of the jungle, actually working and using nature uh, for its best benefit, not killing unless they absolutely have to, right? Whereas Shere Khan, or as you're talking about the Brahmin, right, this this religious right. man, 
that's supposed to lead the community prevents them from being able to make uh, uh, helpful or wise decisions about how to use nature, how to use um, how to use the, the their surroundings. Yeah, and I think that there's an irony there because I mean one of the the tenets of a, a Eastern pantheistic monistic worldview, which is what those characters have in that village, right? Because they're Hindu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the ironies then is that I mean they believe that that they they're joined together into this one um, <laughs> you know cosmic order and that that they're they're actually bound to each other and yet they they have no way of communicating to each other uh, and they, they actually they've misunderstand misunderstood the law of, of the jungle entirely which is kind of ironic right. Since the religion would you would think would teach them otherwise, but you know the thing is is he doesn't really. I don't know that that's really uh, the way that Kipling portrays them. I don't know if that's really the way uh, they would have worked out because he doesn't really give any sort of discussion or explanation for the religious system. Really, the way he portrays their religious beliefs is somewhat mocking, right? As though, of course, yeah, uh, you know, and 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 like you said, I think uh, when he writes, he's approaching this from from a naturalistic uh, point of view. Right. Um, which you know ties us back into Robinson Crusoe. Actually, I was I was uh, making some kind of comparisons there, and Crusoe was definitely, if not working from Christian theism, at least a deistic point of view. And mm-hmm. God was the assumption, right? If there was an issue, right. you cried out to God, and and there is no discussion of God uh, at all whatsoever uh, in Kipling's story. And which is not to say he's not a Christian, um, but the prime reality is is what matter. You know, matter exists, and all there is. God, you know. Uh, God does not work into the equation when there's problems, right? His stories about how the world were, were created were entirely um, myths, uh, uh, naturalistic myths about how these various animals created created the world out of out of, or actually, you know, formed the world. The world already existed in some fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and really, what what I think uh, really kind of points to this is, uh, you know, if you're looking at the the uh, spreadsheet, the diagnostic spreadsheet, what happens at a person's death. Uh, I think Kipling, uh, death is, or at least as the story seems to portray it, death is the extinction of personality and individuality, right? There's no notion that, I mean, not not even some kind of like pantheistic notion that you're connected to Mm -hmm. this broad system and you just become subsumed into the system. But there's no notion of any sort of afterlife at all whatsoever. Yep. And no really concern for it. Like, you know, as you see in Crusoe, there was a definite concern for the afterlife, you know, that what he did in this world would affect uh, how he would live in the world to come, right? And there's there's just no notion of that in uh, in the Jungle Book. No, it's, Ironically, just, the Graveyard Book is all about that, but, you know, that's well, a nice right, story. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, you know, I do think he, you know, he does get his digs in against... Um, the caste society in uh, in India, you know, where where because Mowgli has no idea. It says Mowgli had not the faintest idea of the difference that caste makes between man and man. When the potter's donkey slipped into the clay pit, Mowgli hauled it out by the tail and helped to stack the pots for their journey to the market in uh, Kaniwara, or however you pronounce it. That was very shocking too, for the potter is a low caste man and his donkey is worse. When the priest scolded him, Mowgli threatened to put him on the donkey too. And the priest <laughs> told Masua's husband that Mowgli had better set, be set to work as soon as possible. 
<laughs> yeah. So I mean, they, the, the he just doesn't fit because he doesn't get this distinction between man and man, and that's one of the characteristics of the law of the jungle. Is actually, while they're different species, um, there is no king of the jungle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he becomes. If you look, at, he he eventually becomes after he kills Shere Khan. He becomes, they call him several times, master of the jungle. Right. But he's but, the only one that can be. Right, right. And see, this is the other thing that really comes out in Kipling's, Kipling's. And maybe this is what you're getting at, and I just cut you off. Mm-hmm. But, you no, know, there's still some kind of, you know, like you're talking about order, right? He's the only one um, uh, that can actually control the uh, the jungle because he is the he's the only man. Go ahead, I cut you off. Right. No, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Kipling sets, sets this up that he... He will never be wolf. He he will be man, and he will. Mm-hmm. I, for example, leading that charge against against the doles and and Red Dog the Killer, uh, that that battle, and also um, the buffalo against Shere Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of thing uh, that, in the end, only man could master, mm-hmm. or you know, or could could lead. Uh, although uh, Ka. Her car, I guess the 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 uh, uh, python was able uh, to give him the idea, you know, kind of gave him the inspiration. But when it came to actually executing it, it required it required man. Well, and, and the same thing when he sends, like he actually orders uh, Hathi or Hathi Hathi. Mm-hmm. The yeah, elephant to destroy the village, destroy yeah. the village. and uh, and Bagheera. I mean, of course, uh, Hathi was considered the greatest of all the animals because he was the oldest, and he remembered, you know, the the old uh, stories. You might say something of mm-hmm. a kind of a religious figure in the jungle, mm-hmm. and uh, and yet Mowgli was able to order him to go. And I mean, in some sense, he compelled him with the master words, right? Uh, Bagheera says, "I didn't even know that the you know the elephants had master words," but he compels him with a master word uh, to go and destroy the village, uh, and that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, once again, it, it's he's the only one that has the ability to do this, right? None of the other animals in the jungle can stare him in the eyes, not even Shere Khan, right? Right, right. They have to look away, and that's one of the reasons why Shere Khan hates him so much, right? Because because he recognizes, despite the fact that this is a child. Um, that he will rule over him. Yeah, but once again, in in the in the system, if this really is kind of a naturalistic worldview, it's not because there's something uh, inherently higher than man, uh, but merely because man happens to be at the top of the food chain. Which maybe this is this is a, this is a point against viewing it as naturalistic, because at least Kipling seems to portray it as something more than just. I mean, something inherent in man, not not just that he's at the top of the food chain, but there's something about man that prevents animals from from uh, being able to stare at him directly, right? Or or that forces them, compels them to to be obedient to him. Do you know right. what I mean? Like there there seemed to be that kind of sense. Well, that he was distinct, uh, like in in his eyes, mm-hmm. that his eyes aren't expressive the way that um, say uh, Bagheera's are. Uh, that's that's something that you can't read his emotion from his eyes. That's uh, different about man. Mm-hmm. It's not like the rest of the creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. So there, I mean, those are moralistic kind of uh, avenues, but I, I do, th- I do think that um, uh, if there's anything to be learned is that, is that, that there is a, a law governing 
that society and that this isn't uh, a bad thing. You know, this is actually a helpful thing to have have particular rules, especially for children, mm-hmm. to teach this to children. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that these rules aren't for your uh, harm; they're actually for your good, mm-hmm. and, and they protect you and they they set bounds mm-hmm. uh, that that should not be crossed. And you see what happens when when those bounds are crossed: people get hurt, or, or worse, they die. Yeah. In fact, even the uh, uh, since we're talking about this, um, there came a time when uh, in the story, uh, Shere Khan uh, managed to to start a fight with Mowgli, and he has to leave. He goes to live among the humans, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and Akela, who is the leader of the wolves, uh, become loses his position, uh, and so. Um, but the other wolves eventually come to their senses, and here's what here's what happens. Uh, this is page 103, if you're following along. Ever since Akela had been deposed, the pack had been without a leader, hunting and fighting at their own pleasure. But they answered the call from habit, and some of them were lame from the traps they had fallen into, and some limped from shot wounds, and some were mangy from eating bad food, and many were missing. But they came to the council rock, all that were left of them, and saw Shere Khan's striped hide on the rock, and the huge claws dangling at the end of the empty, dangling feet. It was then that Mowgli made up a song without any rhymes, a song that came up in his throat all by itself, and he shouted it aloud, leaping up and down on the rattling skin and beating time with his heels, till he had no more breath left, while brother, Grey Brother and Akela howled between the verses. Look well, O wolves, have I kept my word, said Mowgli, when he had finished, and the wolves bayed, yes, and one tattered wolf howled, lead us again, O Akela, lead us again, O man-cub, for we be sick of this lawlessness, and we would be the free people once more. Nay, purred Bagheera, that may not be, when you are full-fed, the madness may yet come upon you again, not for nothing are you called the free people. You fought for freedom, and it is yours, eat it, O wolves." <laughs> what what a what an interesting uh, mm-hmm. uh first off I, I loved uh Bagheera's diagnosis of the problem you fought for freedom right they were the yep. free people when they were under the law of the jungle when they were under the leadership of Akela right they were the free people and yet they fought for freedom against that law and they won it and they don't like it right they've been caught in the traps they're mangy they don't have good food they're not working together as a crew as a as a group you know they have all these problems they they're fought for the Pardon? There's some missing. Yeah, even. there's some missing. Like many of it, some of them have died, right? Uh, they wanted this freedom and they got it, and it was it was not what they what they were looking for. And and so in terms of teaching children, right? He's teaching children, instilling this understanding or desire uh, for authority or uh, the appropriate place of authority. Um, and I think I, I agree. I think that's very helpful. Yeah, and it it does have that. Uh ring of uh, the grass is greener on the other side, you know, that kind of lesson. Uh, you don't always think it's better until you try it out and then you realize uh, what happened. In a lot of ways, this is kind of a diagnostic for sin too, right? Once you, uh, There's things that once you're exposed to them or you try them or whatever, um, that it changes you in, in, in not a good way, and you can't go back. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what Bagheera says. I mean, once you're once you've had a taste for it, that madness can come back to you again mm-hmm. because you know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have to now now you're stuck under it. You're going to have to suffer with that. Yep. Yep. So don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because uh, <laughs> then you'll know of the evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and it, I think it's timely instruction for our era or our our culture too. You know, because we live in a culture where. 
you know, I was just reading, uh, listening, watching um, the Golden Compass again, and uh, and really, what he's fighting against is not the church. He's not fighting as an atheist. He's fighting against authority. Right? Mm-hmm. It's authority that he dislikes. It's right. someone else saying you can't do this. Right? right. Uh, and and he has a problem with that because what he wants is he wants pure freedom. Uh, and, and so I think it's a timely instruction for our culture in our time, because our culture, even now, I mean, this is, this is perhaps maybe one of, you know, the primal sin, right? To worship ourselves. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. the violation of the first commandment. Uh, I want to be free. I want to make my own decisions. I want to decide what's right for me and what's not right for me. Uh, I want to be my, I want to be a law unto myself, right? Hmm. And, and this is the law. This is the sin that every, every nation, every culture, uh, fights against. I mean, every right. time we'll fight against, I guess, in some sense. Right. Right. So I suppose it's not just for our time, but for all times. Exactly. Uh, maybe it is worth considering uh, Mowgli's, uh, I don't know if you want to call it revenge. I mean, is that, is that a fair word to say? Against, against his own people? Um, you know, they, what do they accuse him of? They accuse him of being a, uh, a demon child. And so what they do, the, the basic idea of the story is they accuse him of being a, 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 a demon child. They go out to look for him to try and kill him, right? Because he can converse with the wolves. And then they they take his mom and his, uh, Masua and her husband, and, right. uh, and they're going to kill them. Right. And it's clear there uh, that, one, Kipling's probably speaking against uh, this this use of uh, kind of it's kind of, it's a witch hunt really mm-hmm. you know, literally a witch hunt uh but that it's directly uh you know driven by greed mm-hmm. they're really not all that uh concerned about Mowgli they actually just want the cattle and the land sure. uh, that his parents have yeah and and you know i didn't i didn't really uh one of the things you see here i mean cuz one of the contrasts made is between this culture and then the english right the English right. being the enlightened ones that they, you know, where do Masua and her husband go to appeal to get this reversed? Uh, they right. go to the English, right, to get it fixed. Yeah, if we reach Kanawara and get an ear of the English, I will bring such a lawsuit against the Brahmin and the old Bodeo and the others as shall eat the village to the bone. They shall pay me twice over for my crops unstilled, untilled and for my buffaloes unfed. I right. will have a great justice. Yeah. And Mowgli laughed. I do not know what justice is, but come next rains and see what is left. Yeah. He, he doesn't even know justice, at least not earthly, not, not um, you know, human justice. Well, he, he doesn't know the word, but he knows what justice right. is, right? Because that's why he sends the elephant to destroy the, uh, the village. Yes. Exactly. Now, was it justice? This is my question. Ah, this is a good question. Or was it revenge is the question. That is my question. Uh, and I, I struggled with that. You know, I thought, well, I'm sympathetic that these people, um, you know, that they did great harm to his family. Uh, and yet, at the other, uh, on, on the other hand, um, was he justified in doing those things? I think Kipling would say he's justified because at the end of the story, he becomes the master of the jungle. Right? Why mm-hmm. is he considered the master of the jungle? Because he was able to compel Hathi to destroy the village, right? Right. And then in he part, was able yeah. to to let in the jungle into the village. So I think Kipling finds it justified. Um, you know, this is uh, this is uh, 
the law of the jungle conquering the you know the the broken law of the Indian people in this context. Right. I don't and but, think of but, but on, think in of, terms of oh, real life, I was gonna say I, I don't think he's I don't think he's justified in doing it because he doesn't have the office, right? The authority to do this. Right. right. Uh, and and of course so so in this sense it's like uh, the the story is reversed. He gets the authority after he does it, right? He becomes <laughs> the master of the jungle after he destroys or lets the jungle into the village. Then he gains the authority to do it. Had he been the master of the jungle beforehand, then maybe he did have that authority, right? Uh, because maybe as master of the jungle, that's his authority to punish in, in that sense, you know. Uh, but certainly not uh, beforehand. You were going to say something. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're right about that. And I also think that the um, the distinction is made. I mean, he, he makes it clear that, that they aren't to take uh, the lives of those people. Oh, you sure. Sure. Yeah, uh, that... What what he's really going for here is kind of like Hammurabi's code, you know, an eye for an eye. So they they took his his family's property and and animals, and so he's going to do the same. Yeah, uh, you know, in return mm-hmm. for what they did did to his family, he'll do back to them. Um, and so in that way, I mean, that's that's just, I suppose. Uh, it's not pure just revenge that he's just going to murder everyone involved in the situation. Um. So anyway, yeah, but at the same time, e- even in that justice, I think it would have been more appropriate to have the English, right, uh, do it because it was. I mean, at the time, you know, India was a colony, right, uh, and and the, the the English had the right to settle those sort of disputes. So I mean, it would have been, in, in terms of of true justice, it would have been best executed by the the English. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe, maybe, maybe the English have just, the office to do it. He does not. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Maybe he's trying to um, critique that a little bit, you know, in his mm-hmm. uh, the author, uh, you know, in his own experience that that really it actually is kind of between the village and the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> the, and the, English the English were delinquent about it. <laughs> the English really don't have uh, any authority there because they're not indigenous, and um, you know they can't really control the jungle. Mm-hmm. So. That's a, just a question. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, and, and you see there also uh, the kind of the contrast that Kipling portrays between the English and the people. Like, not the English in the jungle, um, but that the, the people are backwards and, and the English are the, the uh, civilized folk that actually follow, you know, some sort of rule. And uh, as opposed to the the people of the village who just follow the Brahmin and his, his spiritualistic, you know... Uh, teachings and whatnot mm-hmm. but that's delving into a whole area i don't really let's, talk, let's about. talk about the genre a little bit because we haven't sure. done that uh, you know it's i think it's usually described as one of these um well it's an episodic you know story stories mm-hmm. collection of stories mm-hmm. uh, each are kind of standalone standalone stories could be each their own little individual book um but as a total, as a total whole, what, how would you describe this story? Um, what do you mean? Now, what, I mean, what kind of fiction is that? I mean, it's obviously fiction. Is it a? It's not a coming. Well, it could be a coming of age story. That's what you're saying. Um, I don't know that it's a uh, coming of age story. I mean, he does come of age in the story, mm-hmm. um, but. You could say in one of the stories. I mean, this is the thing. Like you mentioned at the beginning, since it's episodic, you really have to take each story on its own. Uh, and and um, 
it, it almost in some sense comes more across more as, especially with the moralistic tone, more of a variety like, um, um, the animal stories that, uh, what am I, mm-hmm. what am Aesop, I for? Aesop's fables? Yes. Aesop's fables is really mm-hmm. what it comes across more as, uh, more of a, more of a uh, anthropomorphic, uh, Aesop's fables, really more of uh, more lively, not quite as characterized or not quite as, uh, allegorical as the fables, Aesop's fables. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely seems to have still that kind of tone to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I was thinking about that with that whole, um, you know, law of the land, which is really the main theme there, and how that kind of, in the end, when he comes of age, when he when he runs out in the spring, um, that's he he transcends the law of the jungle. He mm-hmm. can no longer obey it uh, because he doesn't find pleasure in the kill anymore. For mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually part of the law. You know, if you're going to be an animal, you're going to find pleasure in the kill, but, mm-hmm. but he didn't any longer, mm-hmm. uh, among other things. The, that there are, uh, the Kipling presents, you know, kind of um, different ordos or, or, or um, societies, or what do we want to say? Yeah. You know, that there's, that there's a couple different estates, uh, if you like. I mean, there's a lower estate, which is that of the animal <laughs> mm-hmm. in the jungle, but there is a higher estate, which is that of... Uh, you know of the community, mm-hmm. but I but I think he even presents in the end the highest estate is that of the family. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's interesting you bring that up because what was it that that convinced him or that brought him around to no longer take pleasure in the hunt, uh, in the kill, and that was not the hunt but the kill, and that was the blood not of another animal but the blood of another human being. He saw his his adoptive mother Masua tied up and bleeding, and it was the smell of that blood that caused him to lose the uh, thrill of the hunt, which is also part of the reason why he didn't have Hathi the elephant kill the people right. uh, in the village. So, yeah, you're right, you know, that, that he does set up this estate, this human estate, this man, uh, man, the state of man is, as of the highest estate. Well, I don't even think just man, I think family. Uh, that, you know, that's what what the... What the villagers do is undermine the, that family, mm-hmm. you know, by casting out the son mm-hmm. and by by breaking. I'm mean, really, you know, breaking the marriage in a lot of ways, um, you know, by forcing them into exile and not. So then the husband can't provide for the wife and all this kind of stuff. The, you're right, though. It does. He does present, um, kind of an anthrop- anthropology. The capacity to be like the animals is is present in us, right? I mean, that's he's, sure. he, he's suggesting that mm-hmm. that it, it's e- that actually was given the circumstances, it was actually pretty easy for uh, for this man to become a man cub, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, but, but with but with maturity, then he could no longer remain an animal, right? Precisely. You know, he 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 couldn't succumb to those animal instincts because uh, he. He had a higher, in a sense, a higher calling, you know, mm-hmm. to care care for his mother. And there's a there's a hint at you know, his his reaction to the woman when she walks by. <laughs> Just a brief hint there as kind of a love interest mm-hmm. um, at the end of the second book, which is not a big deal for Kipling apparently. That his maturity would be then that he would have some kind of you know sexual desire for for women. 
we're in a different age now because that probably would have come up a lot sooner in in uh, in a yeah. modern telling of it it even does in in uh, uh yeah in yeah. graveyard book yep. yeah yeah so but the, but his view of man and anthropology and that there's a there there's a um, a law even uh that this that that he knows it's on his heart you know mhm mhm that merely i mean merely the blood of his mother is enough to to completely undo his entire not undo but change or uh to illumine another facet of his entire uh, uh being raised or his entire life being raised as as this man cub and uh, now he's no longer able to fully access that 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 uh, rearing that being raised right so that is not purely naturalistic mm mm not really Christian naturalism, but maybe a humanism is maybe a better way to say yeah. it. This is yeah. not on the sheet. Humanism would probably like a subcategory of naturalism. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, a humanistic naturalism values man. Uh, but the fact is, once you delve down into it, uh, it's got no other reason for doing that other than that man is merely man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the, uh, I don't know if you spent any time with, with uh, Christopher Hitchens, who's now deceased. I believe it's in uh, God is Not Great. Uh, he makes a strong case uh, for, for the protection of unborn life, you know, human life, <laughs> and calling them children. And it kind of strikes you as odd because Dawkins, for example, wouldn't, who's mm-hmm. a kind of a radical atheist, but Hitchens, you know, uh, is, is kind of an intelligent atheist and in that he recognizes just from embryology that this is human life. If we can sustain a life at 16 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever the record is now, I don't know if it's 20 weeks. Um, then that should compel us to think seriously about how we treat, you know, life in the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a humanist perspective. It doesn't require belief in, in any kind of higher or supernatural power. Right. I mean, you can be humanist. Uh, the humanist evolutionist, uh, evolutionist says uh, we are the apex of evolution, right? The the mm-hmm. whole... Uh, currently, anyway. Currently, right. <laughs> Uh, we are the apex of, of evolution currently, and merely because we are at that point, we are worth preserving. Uh, but there's no – the problem with that is there's no inherent value. I mean, right? What, when, we, when we move beyond human, you know, humanity, uh, then we're nothing more than, than, uh, than the animals that, you know, in the story, right? Well, maybe. Or we become something that we don't even know. You know what this would be like. Uh, you know, eternal beings. Maybe, maybe that's the, from a humanist perspective. You know, these this thought of God is actually just the desire of man to 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 reach kind of a God status. You know, through whatever science and uh, medical technology, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, how do, in the in the book I'm thinking about getting about our diagnostics, mm-hmm. uh, and we have the law. We have the law of man. We have the law of the jungle. Um, you know, how do the for Kipling, how do you know what's right and wrong? Uh, you know what's right or wrong based on the law of, of law of the jungle, right? And that's only passed down. That's passed down through the instructors in the law of the jungle, right? Right, right. Uh, but is that what you're getting at? Or yeah. So it's here? revealed, right? Y- yeah. In, in the jungle, it's revealed. Revealed how? Uh, well, that's the question. It, he doesn't give an origin. He he does in volume two. He gives a little bit of origin story from Hathi the elephant, 
And, right? Yeah, and, and, kind of a mythical story right. about the law, old as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. Yeah. yeah. See, and, and and the in that in that uh, story, there's there's the first elephant that makes the jungle, right? And he gives he gives the law of the jungle, and he gives order to the animals. Uh, and then also, he's the one that causes them to have a fear of of man as well. So, in some sense, he kind of acts as something of a of a god figure, but he's a purely naturalistic god in the sense that there's no, um, you know, he's not infinite. The, the The elephant dies, you know, this sort of thing. Right. So, not really revealed. It's it seems to be what a development of the community. Yeah. Yeah, or or, or just uh, you know, th- this is the thing. His authoritarian structures are not based on um, revealed facts from outside, uh, as you said. They're based on the community, but they are uh, they are they merely draw them. I mean, they merely pass them on because that's what we did before, right? It's real. It's true traditionalism, right? Why do we pass on the law of the jungle to our young? Because that's what somebody did to us. You know, and then somebody, you know, before, you know, our grandparents pass it on to our parents, so we pass it on to our children, right? Uh, and that's the only reason why it's passed on. There's no uh, prime reality. Uh, there's no infinite being. There's no infinite personal being behind that law structure. Right. And there's no active critique mm-hmm. of the tradition. Mm-hmm. And and that's like with the destruction of the village, that's, that's kind of the argument uh, with... Uh, yeah. With the elephant is to say, uh, I mean, he makes an argument for destroying the village that kind of, it defies the law of the jungle in a way. Uh, Bagheerit is really, you know, at odds with that, with that destruction of the village. I mean, he doesn't really think they have cause to do that. Was he? I think so. That's I mean, because I, I thought I thought that the way that that he. They ju- no no it was justified. Bigger had a problem with it if they were going to be murdering the people, right? Oh yeah. But it came under back under the the uh, the right of the law of the jungle uh, when he said we're not going to actually kill the people. We're just going to destroy the town, ta- destroy the village, and they'll all leave of their own, you know, volition. <laughs> so uh, once he did that, then it then it became kosher again. So, you know, and this is this is something, you know, as Christians, this is this is something we have to be aware of is we do have to be willing to critique the tradition, right? We have to be willing to look at the tradition and see uh does this continue to uphold the gospel? Does it continue to uh, correctly uh pass on the, the the teaching of the scriptures, right? And uh, and if it doesn't, then we have to be willing to to adjust that tradition, I think. Right, exactly. I mean, all all tradition needs to fall under the direction of the scriptures. And this is because the scriptures have behind them not merely the fact that they were passed on from, you know, uh, ancient times, but because they have behind them an infinite personal uh, prime reality, right? An omniscient God who actually uh, gave these scriptures, revealed himself in time and space, uh, and and gave us this scripture and this word. Right. So you have an external standard that critiques um, your actions, you know, and and if you don't allow that that critique, uh, what's going to happen? You know, you're not going to do. You might not even do that which is just or mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. because you're too you're too busy doing what you've done before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So a little bit of critique is 
is okay. Because in the end, you're going to come out with a stronger confession. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, honestly, this sort of thing is a bit, I mean, doing a critique like this is in some sense a bit frightening because you have to open yourself to the possibility. If you're going to do a true critique, you have to open yourself to the possibility that you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. When it comes to your traditions, if you're going to really critique the tradition uh, and really actually look at it, you can't approach it assuming that you're right. You actually have to approach it assuming that you could be wrong, right? And then look at it that way. And and it's really kind of frightening to to have to say, you know, the way I've been doing this for the last twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years could possibly be wrong, or longer, um, <laughs> or longer. I think of it kind of like, um, you know, in Lewis's own kind of translation of that. You know, with Aslan and his not being a tame lion. Imagine, imagine. You know, you're going, you're going to play, uh, you're, you're going to play ball with with a lion. You know, <laughs> is he going to release his claws or not? You know, are they going to be back in his hand? I don't think we're going to. It seems a little dangerous. It should mm-hmm. feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think. I think there's a, a righteous fear there. You know, you don't approach. You don't even approach. Uh, you know, any uh, aspect of the church or, or the scriptures without fear and trembling. Right. Well, and I mean, if you're going to have a real conversation with somebody, whether this person be a, uh, a uh, uh, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, if you're going to have an honest conversation with them, then you have to really be able to to meet them where they're at and, and really talk to them. This, this kind of really is somewhat personal for me right now because we're a pilot group and this is getting into uh, – uh, uh, politics of our synod, but we're a church body, but we're a pilot group for the Koinonia project. Uh, and this means that, that, uh, my circuit, my Winkle is getting together and we're talking about things. Uh, and we, you know, I have to be willing to say I could be wrong about some things that I very seriously hold and believe in, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, I'm very much, uh, you know, worship a particular way. And I have to be willing to say that I could possibly be wrong in the way that I approach this. And the only, the reason I have to do that is if I expect to have a real conversation with somebody else who worships a totally different way, they also have to be willing and able to say the same thing. And they're not going to be willing to say that if I am not willing to do it myself. Right. Well, conflict, you know, dealing with conflict is not, not easy. And I, you know, again, from that, that whole narrative of, um, talking, um, between Mowgli and Bagheera and I'm forgetting the, uh, the, uh, was it Hathi? Yes. Yeah. You know, what, how does he, how does he interact with them? But, you know, to convince, especially Hathi, to go about the work is he doesn't just say, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, but he, but he takes what they say, uh, you know, and, and Hathi says, well, do you, do you want me to kill them? And he says, no, uh, what would I do with, with a bunch of bones? So, mm-hmm. so he, he takes the statement, he doesn't just say no, but he actually adds to the statement. He provides, you know, an understanding um, Mm-hmm. What can I do? I killed I killed Shere Khan, right? And his mm-hmm. hide rots at Council Rock. But but I what what do I need um these lives for? So yeah. So there's there's kind of a, a conflict, um a way of dealing with conflict I, that would be helpful there. Just to respond, not in due kind, but actually to respond with, with I might be wrong. Can we think about it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, and provide kind of a positive uh, way of looking at even what the other person has said. Um, 
it occurred to me thinking about you mentioned earlier that we didn't need to talk about the the Ancus Ancus. Oh, I asked if we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know there there is that whole thing about um, the it killing people. Right, he gets warned by the by uh, the snake, the dry one. Mm-hmm. That uh, it was going to bring death, and of course he kind of laughs about that because he doesn't understand man, right? And I don't think he understands death either. Well, I, I think he understands death because I mean he kills he kills animals, right? Um, well, he does, but he doesn't fear death at all, right? Right, but that's right. but in yeah. a way that in the way that an animal wouldn't, you know, because right. it's just it, the come what may, it's kind of a laissez faire attitude that the wolves have. Uh, but he doesn't have that anymore. You know, the loss, he feels that he has that, that reaction to his mother when, when she's, when she's mm-hmm. beaten, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that feeling, he keeps talking about the feeling in his stomach. And I couldn't help but think of, you know, Jesus and his compassion and his stomach Splunk feelings. Those, his stomach yeah. feelings. Um, yeah. But, but the, the Ancus or the Ancus. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, does bring death. It kills six people in one day. Uh, mm-hmm. And really the point is it doesn't kill anybody. Right. Uh, this is a uh, uh, man worshiping his money, man worshiping his goods that bring this about man worshiping the gold. Cause it, it was covered in all sorts of jewels and it was an ivory tusk and it has covered in gold and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff, more money than many people would have in an entire year. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people are killed as it, as it passes along. And as he's trying to find it uh, so that he can return it, he sees, he, he comes across, I think it's a total of six people that are killed. Um, but what's interesting here is, is of course, what, what uh, Kipling is going for is to talk about the greed of mankind, right? And how far, you know, the love of money is willing to take us, right? And all these people are killed because of this love of money. And how um, that the, there was a group of four uh, men that found this thing and how they were all plotting against each other, right? The, the three of them actually killed the, the cook who had the food. Later on, they found all three of those dead, poisoned by the cook who had been getting ready to kill them, you know, with the food that he prepared uh, later on in the day, right? At the same time, they're plotting against each other, trying to find this. And so he's speaking out against the greed of man. But what's also interesting is that the result of Mowgli's upbringing is that he doesn't have any understanding of man, right? Mm -hmm. That, That there's not an inherent, at least in Kipling's view, there's not an inherent understanding of the sinfulness of man. And I just don't know I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I don't know what to say about it. I don't know what to think about it, but I thought it was an interesting insight. Um, and maybe this kind of gets into the nature-nurture sort of argument, you know, that, uh, you know, how much of, of your upbringing, how much of your personality, how much of your characteristics as you grow up are a result of the way you were born or a result of the way you were raised. Um, uh, but at least in Kipling's view, it seems to be primarily a matter of being raised, a matter of of, of nurture as opposed to nature, right? That that Mowgli's Correct. nature is entirely, or his characteristics are entirely different because he was raised by these wolves instead of being raised by the by men, right? So that raising men, being raised by men, is what makes you greedy, right? And this is uh, one of the reasons why I haven't been terribly anxious to to uh, teach my children about the value of, of money <laughs> and of wealth. Uh, you know, if anything, you know, I just encourage them to be generous with what they have, to share, and to not really think about, think about it as theirs uh, in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the people who, who amassed all this wealth and, and then placed this cobra to guard it, 
um, you know, through their songs. So you can think of the snake charmers, right? <laughs> and that's kind of stereotypical, but apparently it's true. And <laughs> the, uh, or maybe it's just Kipling <laughs> created right. the stereotype. But you know, it's five or six feet deep of of silver and gold coins in this in this vault, mm-hmm. uh, and that it's forgotten, and it's actually better that way. Mm-hmm. That it that it would just all this wealth just be forgotten, and 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 not ever be found. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, what is it going to do? It's just going to lead to greed. You know. The love um, of money. Yeah. Is is the love of money the root of all evil? That's a question for you. <laughs> I think so. Somebody yeah. said one of the wise once said that. Yeah, it's it's actually the love of money, not money is not is the that root what you of said? all evil. I'm sorry. I thought you said the love of money. No, That's, I did say. I did say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a distinction to be made there. It's not that money is evil, it's mm-hmm. that it's the love of the money that's evil. Right. Uh, which I don't know if that can be separated. Well, and 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 maybe that doesn't that doesn't come out. I mean, because Kipling, uh, uh, Mowgli takes it on himself, right? Mowgli blames himself because he brought this thing out. But really, like the the, the Ancus becomes the personified object of evil, right? The Ancus is the thing that goes out and actually. I mean, they say this is this is what killed these people, right? This Ancus has killed six people today. Well, no, I mean it it didn't kill anybody, right? It was those who were obsessing over it that killed it, and so maybe he doesn't have the same sort of distinction about the love of money versus money, right? I don't know. Exactly. It's just wealth. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and Mowgli d- is not concerned with wealth in any way. I mean, his whole life, I mean, he just, just doesn't care about it, right? He, he thought it was funny. I mean, he, in fact, he several times he makes fun of the people of the village for using this dead, cold, uh, lifeless thing that you can't eat, right? To, it never, uh, yeah, yeah, it never warms. It never gets warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what value is that? You know, he doesn't understand the value in it. It's, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's funny to him or silly to him. Next week, or next uh, recording, we will pick up with this discussion uh, in uh, with uh, Neil Gaiman's Graveyard Book. Uh, this will, mm-hmm. Next episode will be episode 9-2, uh, I guess, or will we do episode 10? Regardless, we'll pick up with uh, the Graveyard Book, and the Graveyard Book is a story of a, a young boy. Instead of being raised by the jungle, he's raised by a graveyard full of ghosts. And uh, the inspiration, of course, which comes from Reared Kipling's The Jungle Book. Yeah, just a different setting, maybe. <laughs> well, in in some sense, it's an updated setting, but we'll get into that. Updated setting, updating, updated worldview, mm-hmm. uh, updated sense of morality. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. So very good. All righty. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next time. All right. See you then. <laughs>